This week, we're talking all about Eberron. Myself and James get overexcited and just jump on every single tangent to try and tell you what we think of this fun setting. We won't cover it all, but hopefully we'll give you some tips and tricks on using it as a setting and in your own ongoing campaigns. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. It is of course the D&D show brought to you in partnership with the wonderful fellows over at the Dice Dungeon. They supply you and me and everyone I know with amazing metal and resin dice that you can use in your D&D and other tabletop RPG games. If you want to go grab some nice shiny or slightly less shiny because they made a plastic dice then uh, go over to their website or follow the link in the description below of this episode and use the code uh, we speak common on checkout for 10 percent off it's also brought to you in partnership with describe spelled d-s-c-r-y-b describe is a wonderful subscription service that gives you beautifully written and crafted box text that you can use in your home games just like the box text you'd find in an adventure but perfect for your own homebrew world they currently have over 1500 scenes available a lot of them are free for you to go and browse right now and then a load of extras are added on with a subscription so visit Describe that's d s c r y b dot com. Use the coupon code Common at checkout to get ten percent off every single month that you pay your subscription and support the show every month too. Of course, as ever, I will shamelessly try to sell those products to my guest at some point during this episode. I do just want to give a quick shout out to the wonderful people who support this show directly through Patreon. Uh, they get lovely little extra goodies each month, and they get to join uh, myself and a bunch of people from my table in a Discord server where we are constantly chatting about D and D and many other things like critical role and different rules and tabletop games and all sort of D&D adjacent stuff. It's a lot of fun and if you want to get involved, of course, as ever, there's a link in the description below. Today, I am joined by my friend and yours, James. Hello, buddy. Hi, mate. You have not been on for a little hot second. It's been a what a month or so since we yeah. spoke on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's been about a month when we did the uh, recap of Wardy. My God, what a, what a mammoth episode that was as well. I went back and looked and didn't realise how long it was. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we were surprised when we finished recording that one how long we were oh, sat there for. God, it didn't feel like it either because it was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I, I promise not to keep you for that long <laughs> this week. I'll do my best. Uh, how has that month treated you? Have you been okay? Yeah, it's been fun, you know. Stuck, stuck working from home, all that sort of stuff, but plenty of D&D to fill the gaps. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think the only thing that is pulling me through life at the moment is D and D, and like my the computer that I use to run our games has started to decide it hates life now, and uh, it's started to stress me out because I'm like, what am I going to do if I don't have my D and D fix every week? I'll well, just have to go mobile. We'll have to make do a terrible sound quality then. Oh god, I can't do that to you guys. I'm too <laughs> invested in my setup. It just wouldn't. It would pain me uh, more than it would pain you. I think. Um. Okay, well, I have called you, my friend, because I want to talk about a subject that's been requested quite a bit, actually, in the Discord server for We Speak Common. Um, and there's actually a series of these that I want to do on Legends and Lore uh, on different different settings. But I know that you um, not only are the reason I own this book, but also own this book. Uh, so today <laughs> we're going to talk about Eberron. And I'm going to double check the spine of the book to make sure I actually said that right, because I always say it wrong. I've always said it's Eberron, rising from the last war. Yeah, see, I'm wrong. I've, I always say, what do I, no, Eberron is right. I used to say Erebon. <laughs> oh, say that's, that's the one. Yeah, which is not right. <laughs> it's not right at all. Um, yeah, so today we're going to talk all about Eberron. It's going to be, not Erebon, Eberron. Um, a kind of like a, a 101 to the setting because I have never run a game in Eberron before um, and in learning about it I've decided I definitely want to. But it's, it's definitely one of the coolest settings I've read. It really is but this is the thing I have so many games going on James I don't have enough time to run yet another one in a whole new campaign setting so I think today the plan is to not only talk about the incredibly cool lore of this setting and inform people that don't know or just don't have time to read the book, have it on the bookshelf and just haven't got to it yet, um, and then 
talk about how you could run a game in it, but also what parts of it you could use in the game you are currently already running. Because that's going to be, for me personally, I think that would be the most beneficial thing. Is like, okay, how can I take this really cool setting and use it right now without starting a whole new game? As well as, how do I run a whole new game in it? Yeah, I think I think we've definitely done that a bit already in a couple of our games. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I've been doing a little bit of research, and I know you've been reading Rising from the Last War. So I guess the first thing to say is that we will be talking mostly about what is in Eberron Rising from the Last War, which is the 5th edition book. Now obviously, there is Eberron source books for... I th- for definitely for fourth edition i'm not sure if it's 3.5 but it's definitely in fourth edition lots of source books there and some of that launch is different it changes um and i also found out which and this is something i don't know if you know this james so so do do tell me but the creator of the setting of eberron uh is a guy i'm gonna see if i can remember his name i think it begins, it begins with a k doesn't it yeah it does begin with a k oh, come on i've literally i literally looked at it this morning what is his name? Someone's shouting at the um yeah. Keith. Keith. Keith Baker. Someone's shouting at their, their podcast platform of choice. Like, it's Keith Baker. Um so Keith Baker created Eberron and he and Wizards of the Coast eventually went their own separate ways. But he does still do a lot of work for them through the DMs Guild, and he yeah. has a very different canon, spelled with a K, to what Wizards of the Coast have for the setting so you may have seen because this confused me before i got into it there was a book that came out a pdf book that was about eberron that came out before rising from the last war then rising from the last war came out and then keith put out through dm's guild and you can buy it as a physical book a book called exploring eberron which is kind of it builds on a lot of the lore that's in rising from the last war but also lore war that's confusing but also adds his stuff too there is an extra supplement as well on D&D Beyond as well, I think, called Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Yeah, so that's what came out before Rising from the Last War. Oh, right, okay. That was like the precursor for 5th edition. Then this book came out, and then Keith released Exploring Eberron. And I will say, I have only skimmed Exploring Eberron, just because of the time that I decided we were going to do this episode and then how much time I had to read. Um, and it's really good and there's a lot of great stuff in there. So if you are planning on doing a Erebon campaign, no, Eberron campaign, I'm going to do that so many times. Hordes of the internet are coming for you. They're going to kill me. I will. I, if I go missing, you know why. Keith's come to get me himself. Um, it's worth reading because there's a lot of good stuff in there and it really it, it's basically a law book more than anything else. And it's just got some real good stuff in there. And I think it actually has a couple of Artificer subclasses in it too. So definitely worth picking up. Okay, that aside, and that kind of really poorly explained, James, let's talk about Eberron. Yeah, I mean, let's oh. let's start in my favourite place, Dragons, as usual. Yes, yes. Um, the, the world is literally, from, from what I've read, is literally a dragon. Um, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is nuts. <laughs> so nuts. I love this. So, uh, yeah, yeah. let's start at the beginning, the very beginning of Eberron, which is its creation myth. Now, it's kind of... I've, I've read this a couple of times that it's either a myth and believed or it actually happened, and I think that's kind of up to you. But yeah, Eberron is the planet, much like in the Forgotten Realms, Turil is the planet. Toril, 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 however you say it. Um, and it is a dragon named Eberron, funnily enough. So in the beginning, there were three dragons known as the uh, progenitor dragons. I believe that's how you say it. I think that's the one, yeah. Um, So there was Eberron. I'm trying to find their names because I can't say them without reading them because they're that difficult in my... I think think one's like... uh, Is it it Sybaris? Um, Yeah. That's, I think... Listen to us now by frantically flicking our pages because yeah. we, we weren't this prepared. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were semi-prepared, but not, not completely. Anyway, while, while you look, it's mm. it's the time-old story anyway of good dragon versus bad dragon and then dragon in the middle, just a bit sick of everyone else. Yeah, so it's Sybaris, I think is how you say it, uh, Eberron, who are both female dragons, and then Kyber, who was a male dragon. That's the one. And uh, I really need to put a light on in this room. I've just realised how poor my eyesight is. Um, Eber- Eberron was kind of 
going about her day and Sybaris and Kyber got into a a fight. Now they'd already decided to create the planes of existence as you do just on a random Monday. You're like, hey, should we should we just make some some planes of existence? So they did that. And then their final work was the material plane uh, where all ideas would would become manifest a realm that that could know everything war peace life death order chaos everything um kyber wanted ultimate dominion over the material plane and so got into a fight with uh Cybris, who you know didn't agree with with his plans and in that fight kyber killed slash destroyed ripped apart Cybris. Erebon, Eberon, Christ me. I'm going to get it wrong so many times. <laughs> I don't know where I get Erebon from. I don't know what that is. Um, Eberon, she got in the way, got into the fight with Kyber and kind of formed a gap between Kyber and Sybaris and defeated him. Yeah. So from, from what I gathered, you've got Sybaris essentially spawns like, all the fiends and all the, the horrible, nasty things. Kyber. Um, or have I got that the wrong way around? Yeah, wrong way around. All right. Kyber spawns all the nasty things, and whereas uh, the other one essentially ends up um, spawning things like Celestials, which, from what I gathered, are the only two creatures, types of creatures in Eberron, that follow the same sort of alignment we all understand and know. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, because everything is different. Er- uh, we should have said at the beginning, everything is different here. But everything has its place, which is what's fun. Everything in D&D has a place in Eberron, but it's all slightly changed. Um, yeah, so Sybaris becomes the sky, effectively, if you're imagining it as, as three planes. Not planes of existence, but like up, down and middle. And she uh, is actually represented by a ring of... I, I, I call them meteorites that ring the planet i don't know if they are i don't know if that's te- the technical side scientific i, I think that that this might be a misunderstanding but i think that they're, they're called dragon shards uh um, yes i i believe that is right because there's like two kinds of those and some fall from the sky which i assume are those which the the dragon makes up mm-hmm. and kyber became the underdark and the the caves and the systems underneath the world inside it and eberron became Eberron, the you know the the middle the actual planet the surface that that you and i would walk on and and live on um so basically Eberron becomes a living prison for kyber which is just really cool just really cool um yeah cyrus becomes a ring of golden dragon shards wrapped around the planet said to be the source of magic and it's that creation myth that that sets erebon eberon oh my god <laughs> apart from from anything else like i have never i've not heard a creation myth like that before and i i think it's really interesting and it, and it sets dragons up to be this very important species in the setting uh, and they are and we'll get into those later yeah. so you've got the planet it's a ring of dragon shards and it's under dark and then you've got these 12 other planes of existence and they are represented by 12 moons that 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 float around and, and exist in, you know, Eberron space. Yeah, something quite interesting I came across as well is I believe at one point there was a 13th, not to do with the dragons yes. at all. Yes, there um, was. Um, now, this is an interesting one as well, because in 4th edition, uh, Wizards of the Coast bought what effectively was the Nine Hells to Eberron, and like Asmodeus became... A being in the Eberron universe, like mm. he is in the Faerunian universe, um, but that is not a thing in Fifth Edition, as far as I am aware. Unless that's something I've missed. I was speaking of the realm of madness. The, oh, with the uh, I believe that it's pronounced the Dolkir. Um, I, th- I think they're still sort of around, um, but essentially they they pop in like from what I read, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and start doing all sorts of crazy, like, biological experimentation. And in Eberron lore, they are the people who made Illithids. Well, shit me, I'd somehow missed all of that. <laughs> uh, I've, I think that might have been in some of the Googling and, and the YouTube videos I've watched. Um, oh, sweet, okay. 
This is the thing when you try and do setting guides. There's so much lore over the last 47 plus years of D&D. Um, but yeah, this is the thing. There are all of these... And we'll, we'll, you'll see the example as we go through. There are all these races that you know that have a different... Might be creation, but it might just be a different place in in Eberron than they do in anywhere else. Um, so I hadn't read anything about the Illithids in Eberron yet. So what do you know about, about this new... That's that. That's literally as as much as I know because I was like, I didn't want to go too far out there. I figured we'd best stick to uh, <laughs> to, to what we do know. Is it kind of like when you're you're reading through the D and D wiki and then you read some random fact about like yeah, you see a highlighted thing for Crystal Sphere and suddenly you're in Spelljammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's basically basically that's what happened. Um, because I, I do point, know as well. I stopped. Yeah, it's probably for the best. I do know as well that there was a another realm, which is where the Kalishtar, who are a race in Eberron, get their uh, their origin, and the like. The, it's the realm of dreams, which is a whole other thing that I was like, I, "This is <laughs> this is too much for me right now." I'm going to start with the basics. Yeah. Um, so basically, the long and short of it is there's there's thirteen realms, and there probably were others. But all you need to know is that there are 13 planes of existence that exist in this cosmological wheel that is the the planeal cosmology of, of Erebon. Eberon. I, if I say that one more time, you have permission to punch me the next time you see me. Okay, I'll, I'll remember that. Good, cool. <laughs> um, but this is, this is where I want to put a side note. I feel like my notes are so scrambled in my head that this is such a chaotic listen. I apologise. We'll get it under, in order. But... Um, Eberron, because it has its own cosm, uh, like plain cosmology, it doesn't fit into Spelljammer, which is ah, really interesting. That wasn't what I read. Was the reason for that is because the ring formed by I'm probably going to get the wrong one again. Sybaris is essentially impenetrable to all out forces on purpose to stop other gods from interfering. So that is a um. That is a what's the word? Uh, like a a plot reason. Ah. That's that's you know that's kind of the in world reason. Um, but no, actually, within the the mechanics of Spelljammer, that being that every single plane exists in the same material plane and yeah. can be travelled to via spell jamming vessels. We'll do Spelljammer another day. Don't worry, I'm itching for it. Um, it, they will share the same planes of existence so you can be on Tyrrell and plane shift to the to mount celestia or you can be on greyhawk and plane shift to mount celestia they're the same place because eberron has its own planes and it doesn't have like it has it probably has a version of mount celestia but it's a different plane um it, it doesn't line up so therefore if you wanted to insert an erebon crystal sphere inside your spelljammer campaign you'd have to work out a way to explain those differences um there yeah, are I ways did, to do it i did see an interesting one where someone was saying that they'd have it so that the ring was starting to decay um because if you were running a campaign there and that was a plot thing that could make it quite interesting with what sort of beings are now trying to get involved so the way i'm i would do it and i'm going to do it when i finally run my spelljammer campaign is that on my my personal map of the spheres that I have mapped out, Christ, uh, Shard Space, which is what I call it, and I think if you Google Shard Space, it's like one of the given names for it in the Spelljamming community, um, is much like Lost Space, where it's not connected by any main or regular flow of phlogiston. Um, not to get too Spelljammery in this uh, episode about... Well, always comes back to it then. Always. 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 It is the, the cornerstone of, of D&D for me. Um, but the because it's disconnected many people can't get there and if they do get there once they get inside the crystal sphere uh, obviously there's 14 planets including eberron each planet is named after one of the planes of existence so my sort of own personal headcanon to make it fit is that when you are plane shifting in eberron you're actually shifting to a different planet um and so you are always shifting to these different realms that are contained within these different planetoids in the solar system yeah and then the ring of dragon shards I would just use as a... I mean, that one, the, having it decaying is a, is a really fun um, idea. But uh, I would have it as, um, like, there are gaps and it's very difficult to get to the planet surface and away from the planet surface to make it a fun little extra encounter slash challenge. But also um, have it so that uh, 
it, it kind of makes sense why beings from Eberron don't appear much anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but there you go. There's your Spelljammer Divergent for this episode. Um, there'll, there'll probably be another one in the next one too. At least um, another three, I reckon. Before we finish <laughs> this episode, at least at least three more Spelljammers. Yeah. But there is also a very fun um, diagram in Rising from the Last War of the planes and how they rotate around the planet like different planets. And it's just that art is so interesting to me that if I was going to use that that plane your cosmology and put it in spelljammer i'd have to like have the planets be be the planes which also answers that question like can you just like spell jam to one plane to another which is yeah. like it's, it's it opens up these fun different things that will be different from anyone else's games but anyway but i digress so you've got this place this planet with this creation myth of these dragons and that sets up dragons to be a very important creature within eberron now you are my go-to man for dragons because you bloody love the creatures. I do. My favourite. And dragons mean a lot to Eberron, so do you wanna do you wanna just paint the brush for me? Oh Well, basically just ev- everything you know about dragon alignments, you just just throw them out the window. <laughs> um Yep. Uh with most other creatures in this actually, um there is essentially creatures with their own their own aims and goals now and i believe the way they're not too involved in the world from what i've looked at i might be completely wrong um but the yeah, we, we don't fact check on this episode we just uh, we the, just talk about what the way found. they are most important it seems to me seems to be through those dragon marks and i kept coming across some kind of draconic prophecy or something yes yes so the draconic prophecy is a um a prophecy of all of eberron it's it's a, a long list of different things that could or may come true but to be able to understand it and to um sort of foretell it and understand the different routes that it could take you have to spend years and years of 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 studying things and the idea is that only the only creatures with the actual time to be able to do that are the dragons um and so they they study this draconic prophecy that kind of dictates where the world will go yeah there was there was one interesting little story i read about the dragons in my in my research and that was at some point they were warring uh, with a faction of elves and um, a group of these elves decided, no, that's it, right, we're going to make friends with these dragons, and they essentially spawned a new race that was half-elf, half-dragon. Ah, yes, Um, yes, I I read on this today. But um, that just ended up in the elves and the dragons going, yep, we're going to stop fighting now, just so we can kill all of these new people. So, yeah, so there was, I mean, again, there's a whole setting here, so there's so many tangents, but yeah, so the, the... there was an, an elf woman and a, I believe he was a green dragon. His name escapes me. Dragon names are hard to pronounce anyway. And they were trying to bring the two races together and they had a half dragon daughter. Uh, she is not like a dragonborn. It's completely different. Um, dragonborn have their place in Eberron, but it is a completely different, uh, effectively, sub-race. And she is the only one. Um, the dragons and the elves, when they found out hated it and so they teamed up to destroy her and along the line she had a she had a dragon mark and um she's the only one with that dragon mark yeah uh the dragon either died or went into hiding somewhere we're not quite sure i'm pretty sure the elf died and the daughter was turned into a lich by her mother and her phylactery was hidden and so this daughter, this half dragon, half elf, doesn't actually know where their phylactery is. She does appear in Rising from the Last War under a, a different name. And so there is a whole campaign hook there, basically. But that's um, that's one that's deep in the lore. Like if you wanted to run, and we'll get into this later, but if you wanted to run a campaign, I wouldn't use that hook straight away because it's uh, it's one that's built into the Seekers, uh, the, the, what are they called? The Vaux? who are kind of like a religion that aren't a religion that believe that they're, they believe in their inner selves. Power comes from yourself, from your blood. Um, so it's linked to that and it's linked to like how they're viewed in the world and, and what she's trying to do. And uh, it's, there's loads of stuff, but um, yes, that did happen. 
Uh, so the dragons, so the dragons kind of had their age. There was there's many different ages in Eberron. The dragons had an age. The giants had an age. Yeah. Um, then sort of your normal, um, I say normal, the standard races that you see sort of came about, and they had their age. Uh, but yeah, the dragons and the draconic prophecy is something that kind of oversees the whole world. And the idea is that the dragons study it and they see it in the conjunction of the, the, the planets and in runes that appear in lava and only the dragons have the time and the knowledge to, to read it and understand it and, and talk about it and spread it. It's deep. <laughs> yeah. And generally speaking, the people of Eberron are a bit more preoccupied with other problems than to deal with a draconic prophecy. And boy, did they have problems, James. Yes. Oh. So, as you might guess, there was a war. The last war. Uh, it's not the last war. It won't be the last no, war. Yeah, let, let's be honest here. As, as a history person, I'm basically looking at this and going, hmm, this absolutely reeks of mid, uh, mid-war Europe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the tr- Treaty of Thronehold is basically the Treaty of Versailles. Nobody likes it. Uh, and it's just going to all erupt in war again. Um, so we should we should note then that... Um, and this is one of the things that, that draws me to uh, Eberron. If you look at the map, there's loads of different continents. It's not just one big continent like Faerun. Um, and there are lots of different areas and lots of different places of power and different seats of power they all erupted into a war um and that's that's very much simplifying how it led to that point well but go on it's from from what i can gather it's not across a different continent it's just on the continent of corvair which is the main one the biggest one yeah basically if anything happens in eberron it happens on corvair from what i've gathered (laughs) yeah that's that's the the place to be protagonists hang out yeah yeah um, but they all got into a big conflict. They had a big fight, and it lasted for a very, very long time—a hundred and two years. Yep, and it was destructive and deadly, and it was kind of a, a moment of change for the the world of Eberron because you went from your very typical kind of ruling houses and families to um, the people being in charge were those who had dragon marks and the uh-huh. different houses. The I I see it a bit differently than that. Do it, you? It, okay. Yeah, because it wasn't quite as typical beforehand. Um, because the the king sort of um that originally unified the entire continent did it through diplomacy and negotiation rather than war. Admittedly, backed by a big scary army. Of course. Um, and he actually obviously the people of the dragon marks still around at this at this juncture, and. He essentially realised they were powerful, got them on side, and put rules in place for them. Mm-hmm. And it was on his death, and them not being able to pick an heir between the five different countries he essentially ruled over, um, that caused the war. Which then means that the the people with the marks just sort of sit at the back and get basically profit from everybody, and then at the very end, the only ones realistically left standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. But effectively, they, they became they were important before and they became even more important because of the war. Because, for example, you had... Um, I forget which house it was. I think it's House Corvair. No, that's the name of the place. What is it? House begins with a C. Caniff, that made the Caniff, Warforged. thank you. That's the one. Yeah, they make the Warforged, who we'll get into a little bit later, but they were the... They were like weapons during the last war. So they really profited off of the fact that everyone was fighting. Um, and through that profit, they grew and became much bigger. But you, I mean, I guess we should sum up Dragon Mark. So you, you, you're born with a Dragon Mark usually because you, you exist to a house already. Yeah, they're, they're, they're essentially bloodlines. Um, yeah. And I believe essentially uh, certain dragon marks are, are bound to certain races as well so it, it can't seem to cross um, mm. sort of character races but is very much kept in that bloodline and they're a fun way to really tie your character into uh, the the kind of the law and the politics and what's going on in Eberron because you're you're suddenly connected to this effectively massive organization or well-known 
It's, it's a brand. It's a, it's like you're walking around saying, I am Nike, you know. Um, I mean, it, everyone... it does essentially decide what your job is as well. Yeah, yeah. And not everyone has one, of course, and they are relatively rare. And what's even rarer is that some people put much t- a lot of time following their, I suppose, predetermined prophecy or, or whatever their dragon mark kind of leads to. They, they look into it, they power it, and it grows. So there are some characters you might find that have a dragon mark that goes all over their body yeah um which is really cool and um, like just coming across this guy who's totally tatted up with this massive mark and and it signifies this great power that he has yeah and then you get the the awkward aberrant dragon marks um <laughs> tell which, us about those they're they're essentially dragon marks that randomly pop up on people it's from what i gathered it's not bloodline related um, but they're seen essentially as a bit of an abomination. And mm. there was a time when the houses with the established dragon marks essentially got together and tried to just exterminate everybody with an aberrant dragon mark, which is why they're so rare uh, rare now, because they've all essentially been killed. Yeah. So um, you can really tie yourself into what's going on here by by having one of these things. I don't know if as a DM I'd want uh, everybody to have a dragon mark in my party. That might be a bit like... It wouldn't make down. sense either. No, it would like, water what, it down a bit too much. Why would all of these competing houses all of a sudden be working together in a party? But then um, again, maybe that's a hook, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's about bringing them together. So you've got these houses that are now kind of a, a big force of power in Corvair and seen across and understood across the whole of the planet. And you've got this war that's going on and it eventually comes to an end and it comes to an end at its at its peak. There's a spectacular an... end. Oh, it's amazing. There's an area of the map, as you look at it now, called the Mornland. And the Mornland was a place, uh, much like everywhere else, uh, where civilization was. There it was cities. An, an entire nation. Yep. Cities. Specifically that nation. Uh, do you remember the name of the nation? I believe it was Sir. Sir, I'm not sure I'm saying it right. Sir is how I say it. Um, um, but yeah, so so Sir is, you know, just going about its time, being a nation during a war, finding the struggles in that. And then they, one day... They were a little bit more than that, though, because they were the ones that were technically next in line for this throne. And they they were the jewel of Eberron, of the whole... Sorry, not Eberron, of the whole of Corvair. They were, like, the jewel... The, the, like they had the wealth, they had the power, yeah, and then boom. So they're going about their day, and suddenly there is. I mean, I, I in my head, it's a big explosion, but it's not. <laughs> it's not a big explosion. I don't know from what I've seen. Like descriptions were, people went blind from the flash of light. Yeah, so there's a big, there's a big thing. Something happens, and this is this is kind of the big mystery. No one knows what happened, but basically, the whole nation ceases to exist there is just a big area that is now known as the mornland and it's the, the day that this happened is called the day of morning um and it's kind of left up to the dm to to know to work out like is this something that you want to explore in your campaign is your campaign about working out what happened in the mornland and and will it happen again and the fact that this this unknown event just erupted out of nowhere destroyed a nation took out thousands of people in the blink of an eye um millions the war kind of oh yeah millions yeah i mean i'm underplaying it 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 the war comes to a stop because everyone's worried that it's just going to happen again no yeah. one knows what it was no, nobody or, actually wins no not at all it just kind of ends and it well, leaves the nation in a the, the whole nation in a very strange place the the eeriest thing about the whole thing is is that it's essentially like an encroaching mist so, like, the people on the very edges of Sir were able to find out it was coming and escape. Um, yeah, but those in the centre were got doomed. Wiped, but the, the mist stopped exactly on the borders. Yeah. Which is like, why? Which, which, which is so creepy. It's like a... a, a in, in, a, in a very simplistic term, it's like a fantasy nuke. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're, if, you're fu- if you're close enough to see the flash, you're probably doomed. And if you're far enough to see the cloud, you might be able to get away. Oh, it's um, mad. 
Yeah, really mad. So there's now this whole section of this this continent, and it's huge, that is just this area of, of white, and what is this? What's in there? What happened? Who knows? Was it an experiment that went wrong? Was it an attack from another warring nation? Nobody knows. And nobody's really claimed, as far as I know, nobody's claimed responsibility for no, it either. So that's, kind that's of... why the war stops, because everybody's like, was that you? And the nope. other like, no. And they're all like, all right then, I think maybe we should stop until we figure out what just happened. <laughs> but as with anything, everyone is kind of on each other's toes. There's, there's that feeling that war could break out again at any moment because there was no conflict resolution. The, the fighting didn't stop because someone won and a decision was made. The fighting stopped because everyone was scared that they were all just going to get wiped out by something. Um, so there's this tension that floats around. And it's kind of the, like the way I imagine it. It's kind of like Cold War era tension. It, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely like really Cold War or between the World Wars sort of tension where mm. everybody knows it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how it's going to start and when. And where and when. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're suddenly in this in this setting that's got this rich history, this rich fantasy myth but has this kind of industrial era plot line going through it because it it, it resonates with me with world war one and two and and that kind of era and what's nice to go along with that is that the setting itself and the way magic is used kind of fits that industrial revolution theme because you've got magic being used in a way that we don't see a lot anywhere else you've got the lightning rail which is a magically powered train that travels at high speeds throughout the continent you've got it like uh flying airships and effectively like magic being used as electricity and it's kind of that thing where i know that if i flick my light switch my lights are going to come on and electricity powers that but i don't know how electricity works not really yeah but mages they understand all of that they're like the electricians of eberron well yeah well you say that the weird thing about eberron is that your common level magic things like prestidigitation and your basic spells are insanely common like yeah, I think they're, they're called, and they're easy for people to pick up. So you get like people called mage rites. They're not wizards or warlocks. They they're just able to study it, and quite often say they're a locksmith. They'll learn the arcane lock and the knock spell. Well, that's it. Mm. Um, but your higher level magics, things like raise dead and stuff like that, are incredibly rare and are almost, from what I can gather, exclusively the remit of your dragon marked houses. Yeah, it's a really um, fun way to look at how a civilization would develop over time if magic was the norm. And that's always something I've tried to put in my games, like my my Watchful Order or my City Guard or whatever, use things like Truth, so Zones of Truth and, and whole person spells as part of their um, sort of standard array because magic exists in this world and people knows people know how it works so why wouldn't they use it to make their lives yeah. easier um, and it's that on steroids um and it, and it gives this really nice industrial tough feel it's lovely Ugh. there's obviously a bunch of character options for players there are different races everyone knows about the warforged which are uh constructs with souls that were created as soldiers for the last war, but then uh, when the war ended, they were told they could go and the c- construction of them stopped. But the ones that were alive and living were told they could go and just live their lives. And so they're this race trying to find their place in the world. Well, shall, shall we start with them? Because I, I feel they're worth looking into. Yeah, go on then. So they're essentially still seen as second class citizens. Yeah. Uh, people don't like them purely because they remember the horrors of obviously the last war and so you've got this interesting dichotomy you've got warforged that are further away from the morn uh, the morning um aren't aware of a particular individual known as the lord of blades um, oh yes who is probably a warforged it's not highly quite confirmed i'm pretty sure he is yeah and he basically despises creatures of the flesh due to the mistreatment of the Warforged and forcing them to be um, essentially what he views as slaves. And 
Part so there's of, another another campaign plot hook for you there. He's yeah, lit- literally. Um, it could be one of the things of they don't even have to ever encounter him, but they could literally just come across somebody who follows him, be up um, near a factory which uses warforged labor, and they're trying to convince them to you know overthrow them because they're being mistreated. I'm pretty sure he hides out in the Mornland as well. Yeah. Um, so you've got him, and then you've got the Warforged Colossi. <laughs> Picture, what's the guy from Fallout 3? Um, the big robot from Fallout, I can't remember the name. Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who you're talking about. I never played Fallout I'm sure people that are listening will know about the, the big robot guy. He was in Fallout 4 as well, I think. Um, okay. And um, essentially, these most they all died and broke the moment the the mor- the day of mourning happened. Um, but there are rumours of some operational ones still around, and part of the whole thing is people trying to find them because they are essentially just weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, they're kind of like I imagine them as uh, sentinels from X Men. These giant, huge robots that just do what they want basically liberty prime that's it liberty prime that still oh, means nothing to me yeah, but sure i'm sure, I'm sure get that yeah they'll get, they'll get it um so yeah you've got these really interesting constructs with souls that are kind of trying to find their place in the world and and it's it's a bit like akin to like an ai uprising in a way like how would you feel about a non-organic life form trying to find its place in the world that's what that's what warforged is yeah, and they all have really adorable names as well because their naming convention is literally they just pick words that they like. Yeah, because <laughs> they're not given names like humans yeah. and elves are. Yeah, um, yeah, they're beautiful, and and I know that a lot of out of everything in Eberron, they're the thing that I think people always port across and use in other games because they're just so interesting. Yeah. Um, obviously this is the book that gave us the artificer we won't talk too much about that today um, but they have a nice close affinity with the warforged because they're the people who can understand them the most then you've got uh, the Kalishtar who are they're like a compounded people as well they're created from the union of humanity and renegade spirits from the plane of dreams uh, the spirits are called and I never pronounced this right uh, Quarry I think that's how you say it. Q-R-I. That's how I. That's how I'd probably say it. Yeah. So they're they're these. There's this interesting. Like you get a little bit edgy. You've got that. You've got the changelings, which are um, obviously they they shapeshift, and it's like how do you? Oh, the changelings are so cool because you can either be a changeling who never changes and tries to find their place in the world a changeling who has many different places and becomes a different person with every city they enter or you could be a changeling who wants to show the world that they are a changeling and they keep their true form which is this kind of pale white white eyed being which would not be advisable because people don't like changelings people don't like that because inherently they don't like anything that's different also you never know who you're talking to do you yeah it's not even that it's just this fear of is this the person I'm talking to or is it a changeling? And it didn't help. Like During the last war, which only two years ago, they were literally used as spies and infiltrators. Um, I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but their, their creation is a bit gross. Um, we all know what doppelgangers look like. Um, yeah. I won't say much else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not even feel that. Um, so they're a really cool and interesting race that you can play. And there's a lot of, obviously, the, your standard sort of elves and dwarves and all of that fit in too, but they, they all have different, um, like, whereas a gnome might be very tinkery in Forgotten Realms, they've got a much diff- a different background in, in Eberron. So it's really worth going through and looking at them all and, and really working out what kind of character you'd want to play in an Eberron setting with that background. Or whether you'd want to maybe look at something that you wouldn't normally play. Like, I, I quite like humans, but humans might be very different in Eberron. And if I wanted to play that feel, I might go for a different race. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah. it's totally different setting. So, mm. like, what yeah, suits you up. in Faerun might not suit you in Eberron. Yeah, it opens up the opportunity to try something very different, which I like. Um and so it's it's very advisable that you, that you read up on the uh, the histories of those races when you're when you're making your character in in an Eberron setting. I think 
Um, there's something else that's very advisable when you're when you're creating a character in Eberron, and that is to have some really good dice to roll your stats with, James. Always the best. Always the best. And uh, do you know where you get the best dice from? Is it? I don't. I don't know. It's it's on the tip of my tongue, Ben. It, it begins with a D. It's, it's, it's something to do with dice. Yes, yeah, it's the dice dungeon. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, they're a wonderful place where you can buy beautiful metal dice and resin ones too now as well. And uh, the ranges are constantly expanding. So go and have a look at their website, pick out a set that you really like, and then use the code we speak common for ten percent off on your order. And remember, it's your whole basket. So the more you spend, the more you save. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing as well that I found when reading through this book, I was like, this is so different from anything I've ever run before. Like if I was going to run Eberron, how would I, how would I describe everything? So describe is another tool that would really help with, uh, with getting you through that prep phase. There's hundreds of scenes, thousands of scenes available for you to use in your games now or in the future when you pick up Eberron and eventually run it. Cause let's face it, we're all going to, it's so good. Why would you not? Um, that are pre-written for you by fantastic art, uh, writers and I was going to say artists and they are kind of artists because they, they make art with artists words. Artists of the word. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful prose that I could never write and you can just pick it up and pop it into your campaign. So let's say you wanted to uh, describe a specific spell. You type that spell in to describe and it's there for you to pick up and read to your players or to your DM as the spellcaster in the group. Go have a look at describe dscryb.com. Use the code common on checkout for 10% off your subscription. Don't forget there are a bunch of free scenes for you to check out, so you don't have to have a subscription to go and start using their service. Shall we talk about because I know that it's it's very brief what we've talked about on Everon as a setting, but this book is what over 300 pages thick? Yeah. So it kind of has to be. Um and like I say, there's a whole other book by Keith Baker that has even more of this stuff in. So if anything we've said has resonated with you, go and go and have a read. Shall we talk about um, first? Let's talk about setting a campaign in Eberron. And then let's talk about the bits that we would take out and use in our campaigns now, because I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I think if I was going to do if I was going to throw you guys into a brand new Eberron campaign tomorrow, I'd want to do something. I definitely want to use the Mornland because I find that so yeah. interesting that there's this area of the map that is basically a big uncharted mystery now. Um, and you can do that. You can do anything you want with that as a DM. You can make that something that went wrong in the Mornland. You can make it something that was from outside. I guess the easiest thing you can do, obviously, is something that talks about the, the tensions and the warring um that kind of campaign see the way the way i'd like to do it if you really want your players to get a feel for eberron is you'd have them start in i think it's the city of sean which is like the big old city yeah yeah like the big place the capital yeah low levels they're sort of working maybe for one or two of the houses trying to gather intel or something and then if you really wanted them to go to the mornland you have it where they think there might be a weapon which might tip the balance in favour of them somewhere in the Mornland. And then, now your players are high level, they've done a bit more, they can now go into this really weird, wacky place um, and go from there. So there's there's like plot potential to go anywhere. The fun thing about um, this, this whole setting as well is that you could pretty much take any pre-run adventure and pop it. Maybe not uh, Tomb... That would be pretty hard to fit in. But if you took, for example, Dragon Heist, you could set that in Shan. And Shan is such an interesting city. It's 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 uh, layered, so it's got tiers, and it's like it's, it's called the City of Towers. That massive towers that go up to the sky, and um, they're all built off of each other magically because it helps their construction and helps them stay uh, stable. And it's so massive and so tall that the bottom level, the cogs, doesn't see daylight basically. <laughs> Um, which is such a like if you want to run a city campaign oh my god Shan is such the perfect place for it well there'd be so dense I just imagine there'd be so much conflict between those on the lower levels that are stuck in the dark and those higher up yeah so I think that'd be an interesting thing to explore and I feel like you you could do a whole campaign in Shan you wouldn't even have to do it in the rest of 
at Eberron. Like, you wouldn't even have to travel much further out of Corvair. Um, but there are a bunch of other uh, continents, is the word I'm looking for, yeah. and, and locations to visit, too. So I would, um, yeah, I would definitely use them on land. I would want to do a campaign where you start off being pretty much nobodies who get involved in over your heads and it would be about i'd want to do it where you have to travel a lot so i could do like there are things that i'd want to do as part of the yeah. campaign so i'd want to have some sessions where you are on the lightning rail i'd want to do sessions in the mornland in charm i'd want to um do sessions in airships because they're quite integral and sort of recognized as part of eberron um you know all these kind of I was going to say tropes. They're not really tropes. All of these iconic images that, that come to me when I think of Eberron and looking at the book that I want you to experience as players. And I'd link that all together with a story of maybe trying to work out what happened in the Mornland. Yeah. But when, when you get into it, you find out that it's it's not that you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about the Mornland. You need to worry about, I don't know, maybe it's uh, the, uh, the Warforged, the Lord of Blades who you now need to worry about or maybe it's this half elf half dragon lich that's out there yeah that's revealed herself to you well as long as i get to pilot a warforged colossi that you know just, just come across an operational one you know i'm perfectly happy yeah yeah i mean <laughs> yeah you just sort of find it and you go oh i'm gonna i'm gonna make this thing work for me now well you know the lord of blades has got one so you you have to take it off him and that could be fun oh, spoilers james <laughs> you could uh you could as well um, basically just recreate Shadow of the Colossus with those things. See, I don't even know what Shadow of the Colossus is, Ben. My turn uh, well, to be look, not another yep. reference. We're one for one now. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, so, yeah, you could do... It's such a cop-out answer, but you could li- do literally anything in this in this setting. It would be really fun to do a whole campaign about finding the Warforged place in the world or finding the Changeling's place in the world. I um, think the thing the thing to take away is that you can... Set anything you could do in Faerun, you can essentially do an Eberron, but it has its own special little Eberron-y spin on it. Which is what makes it unique, and that's yeah. what makes it so appealing to me, is that you could... We talk about tropes a lot, and we talk about how you end up running the same stories, and there are only you know 31 different types of stories in the world. But because the setting is so unique in some of its lore and its creation myth, that those stories don't feel the same, even though they are. Sometimes a good story is just a good story. Yeah, that's just <laughs> true. That's very true. How would you use Eberron now then? Because we're both running games in the Forgotten Realms and I'm quickly becoming jealous of people that aren't doing that. <laughs> so how would you use any of the stuff in this book in your pre-running campaign? Well, we've well, perhaps one of the favourite things I've done is then living spells. Oh, I knew this was going to come up. Living spells are so genius. I don't know how I've never thought of this before. Like, I think I put them in one of your Rolo games, and mm-hmm. I had them as they're essentially just rogue bits of magic, and I had them where somebody had got them contained, albeit a couple had broken out. Um, but they're something you can easily take from Eberron and, and plop anywhere, because it's just magic gone wild. Yeah. So in the sense of Eberron, their explanation is that they are one of the anomalies. Anomaly. Ano- oh, I can't anomalies, Ben. Come on. Anomalies. anomalies. There we go. Thank you. Anomalies <laughs> that came out from the creation of the Mornland. Uh, and they are they are spells that just have their own their own mind in a way. They just do what they want. So you get I think you get three stat blocks. Is it Burning Hands, Lightning Bolt and Cloud Kill? I think so. Um, yeah. I there is I found a handy supplement on DM skills which gave you loads. Yeah, um, I think I have that too. Yeah, um, they're not they're not difficult to make. No, and there are some there are some basic rules to customizing them in yeah. the back of uh, in their section at the back of Eberron. But funnily enough, there's a couple that appear in Icewind Dale, Frame of the Ross Maiden as well. So there is a precedent for a living spell existing in different settings. No, I, I've still not read through that, so I didn't know. I haven't read through it. If my DM for the play-by-post campaign is listening, I promise you, Firestorm, I have not, I have not, <laughs> have not read it. I haven't read it. I just flicked through the uh, the uh, stat blocks at the back, but I'm pretty sure. Hang on, I'm going to flick through the stat blocks now. 
Let's let's be honest. A new campaign comes out, you buy it. If you're going to be playing it or not, you look at the back. You look at the magic items, don't you? Yeah. You have to. First thing you go to. <laughs> like... Without fail. The first thing I always go to, the magic items and the stat blocks. I like that there's a, there's a stat block for a brain in a jar in this book as well. Mm-hmm. Which is right up your street, James. <laughs> um, see, I'm, you're making me question myself now. Now I have to look and check. Uh, hang on. Uh, talk amongst yourselves for a second. There we go. Uh, it's a bit, a bit awkward because okay. I've only got you to talk to right now, Ben. Yeah, I've I've yeah. locked everybody else in my house out of the room so we could record this. Oh, that's sweet. Live <laughs> here, you go yeah, living spells. So there's a living Bigby's hand, which is cool, and mm. there's a living blade of disaster spell. I don't know how those come up in the context of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden because, like I said, I haven't read it because I'm a good player. Isn't but blade of disaster oh. the ninth level spell? Uh, I don't. I don't think it's ninth, is it? Oh, I know they brought in some new new blade spell in in rhyme that was like a ninth level, and that sounds horrifying. No, you're right. If it's getting no, right. sentience, it is. It is a ninth level spell. Yeah, it's. Um, but it's. This is the thing. This is, we've gone on a tangent again. It's a spell that Joe and I talked about quite frequently when it came out because it uh, was. It's like a better Mordenkainen's sword, but it's not worth being a ninth yeah. level spell at the same time. It's yeah, cool, though. It's a, cool. There's a sentient one of those. Sentient ninth level spell for you in the back of Frost Maiden if you need yeah. an excuse to buy it. So there you go. Um, so yeah, so they're definitely something you can use, and they they can they can just be like a random encounter, or they can be like uh, the. Oh, they'll be really fun to use those reskin those as something like a minion that accompanies a, a high level mage. Yeah, like he has just living spells as enemies. Yeah, like a mage. That's like I don't know somehow tapped into like the very elemental nature of the, the weave and just pulled out these living spells. That's so cool. That's so cool. Uh, what else? You could uh, So the Warforged, obviously everyone wants to use a Warforged. I have an idea for using one that I'm not going to tell you about because I, I want to use it. But um, you play my games. Yes, I do. But you can definitely... I mean, it's up to you whether you want Warforged to have the lore that they come from Eberron. And if you're not worried, uh, if you're not like me and you don't need to make sure that everything lines up in your own universe, um, and you're not worried about how Eberron doesn't fit into Spelljammer and how could a Warforged have got here, you can use their lore that they came from another world and they came from Eberron. Or you can give them their own lore. Maybe they're constructs who, kind of like computer systems in our world, learnt and gained sentience over time. Yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, there's some precedent because if you look at all of the Spelljammer tangent, again, Crystal Spheres, you get in the same set of elves and dwarves and humans uh, with minor differences. So what's to say that Warforged weren't somehow created in Faerun as well? Exactly. So Warforged, I, I don't see any reason why they couldn't appear in any campaign. To be fair, same with Changelings. Changelings, I think, get a little bit of, they're a bit of a Marmite, they're a love-hate, because yeah. it's like, oh, you can just change and be whatever you want. But the idea of being a Changeling rogue in Eberron is like the best thing in the world to me. Um, so I wouldn't be, as long as I can explain why Changelings exist in my game, um, then I'm happy. Uh, you know, if, if you'd have come to me and said, I want to play a Changeling in Tomb of Annihilation, I'd have been like, well... Let me think about it for a couple of weeks yeah. while I work out what the where changelings exist in my in my world, my version of Faerun, and then and then we'll go from there. So th- there are ways around that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else? I mean, there's tons of stat blocks in the back of here that you can just use and reskin. But yeah. the the uh, the other stuff is stuff like how do you how do you implement the themes, dude? These themes are not exclusive to Eberron. The idea of war. And this this tension, if you love that about Eberron, you can start implementing that into a homebrew game. You can start implementing that into any setting as well. Yeah, all, all you need is numerous large forces that have been in conflict at some point. And let's be honest, they may have made peace, but they're going to be each other's throats because that's that's people. Yeah, it happens. You know, time time repeats itself. Um, I've just seen a really cool picture of the Mornland, which uh, is the mist looks like screaming faces. God, that's so Oof. evocative. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of lots of stuff in this campaign setting that you can take and use. And I feel like I've been an excited puppy and just sort of jumped from one topic to another this episode because time has flashed by in talking about it. Um, well, it but certainly I'm, has. 
Yeah, you, you just looked at the time <laughs> of the <have>. recording. <laughs> yeah. I think the best thing you can do, if if you have been thinking, like I was for a long time, I was like, I kind of get the idea of Eberron, but I don't really get it. And I, I'm running other things, I don't have the time to read it. Just give it a cursory glance. Just start reading and you won't put it down. Um, and once it's in your brain, you can start mingling those ideas together and working out a way to implement it into your own campaign. Obviously, it's going to be a bit weird trying to tell you how to put it in your own campaign because i don't know what campaign you're running but there are themes here there are creatures and characters here there are stat blocks here that you can take and use maybe your characters come across a broken and um almost rusted and, and dead warforged who they managed to corral back to life who is lost and has somehow been transported to this world and needs to help needs help getting home needs to find a powerful mage maybe you come across you know a a mage who like Mordenkainen has worked out how to to travel from plane to plane and tells the 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 adventurers of this strange world where magic is used by everyone and and it's uh you know like mind breaking to them maybe you don't want to set up the idea that there are different worlds out there and you just want to start putting changelings and and kalashtar into your homebrew setting do it their lore is here take it strip it apart and pop yeah. it into your homebrew world i mean i'll, so I'll say looking into this i kind of realized because i've started you know i do my home homebrew things and a couple of weeks ago i wrote the creation myth just randomly came up with it one night and at this mm. point i hadn't looked at the eberron book for at least at least a year and then looking into it again, I'm like, ah, my creation story is awfully similar to that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the back of your subconscious. Yeah. Something in your brain went, dragons are cool. What if there were three dragons that made the world? Essentially, yeah. That's And so you will, even if you only glance at it and then forget about it, It's the ideas will be there. Mm, absolutely it's as ever anything as a, as with anything it is uh, inspiration but um yeah go and go and read it we should talk about your homebrew world sometime and about how you go through that process of creating stuff i think that would be a good table paper uh, I'll, I'll need to get a bit further along in that case <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were gonna say that I knew you were gonna say that um i will uh point out as well that there is an adventure in the back of rising from the last war definitely worth a look and there's tons of Eberron stuff on dm's guild now with adventures and stuff so if you've been inspired to learn more or if this rambling of random ideas has made you go yeah i want to play in that world go and check those out i for 100% my plan instead of running an Eberron campaign what I want to do as part of a Spelljammer campaign which will happen one day James it will one day I will force you to play it um you will visit Eberron and uh, have to like learn while you're there and, you're, and you're Ben like why would I want to go to Eberron I'm on a Spelljammer you know like, see this is the thing you've peaked, once, once you've Spelljammed you've peaked this is the thing. Spelljammer for me isn't about visiting different worlds. It's about traveling between them. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, I'd, I'd get you to Eberron. I'd be like, wow, guys, look at this amazing place. You can stop down, refresh your air and, and get some supplies, have a look around. And you're like, no, we're not even going to get off the ship. We're just going to turn around and go back now. <laughs> <laughs> we want to fight more of those space sharks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll do an episode on um, on Spelljammer and hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to... F- form sentences better and get my ideas out yeah. in a in a more succinct manner i think maybe we should plan that one a bit more in advance <laughs> yeah yeah i was just so excited to actually talk about this setting and just sort of throw out word from yeah. it but... not, not gonna lie i'm there literally half teaching a lesson half got the eberron book open glancing over at it <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell your employee that no, um no. james thank you for um sharing your views and opinions on this weird wonderful amazing setting and um hey thank you for one day playing in my eberron campaign because it will happen I mean, I play in all your games, so, you know, what's one more? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't got the time now, but one day I will have. And thank you for giving me this book, because I don't think I actually made that clear, but I have this book because of you. So yeah, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. And it's uh, the wonderful limited edition cover as yes, well. Yes, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, James, this is the point where I usually say, hey, if you've got anything to plug on the internet, plug it. But I do you have anything to plug? I have absolutely nothing. Uh, well then um, my job takes up my life well that was an easy segment so um, thank you for shamelessly plugging yourself there Uh, as ever if you want to get involved with this podcast if you want to um, 
shout at me and tell me that I got it all wrong and actually this, this and this about Eberron and not that, that and that, which I said, then you can find me on Twitter at we speak common at Ben Jeff Norris. Email is we speak common at hotmail.com and the website is we speak common.com, which will take you a link to all of the things, all of the places you can listen to the show, all of the places you can interact, the Patreon, and of course the wonderful partners and sponsors of the show too. If you really want to have direct access to shout at me and tell me that I got all of this uh, law wrong, then the Discord is the place to go. So go and check out the Patreon. And you could even shout at me there as well. That's true. Um, if the Discord members are listening to this and they're going, wow, this isn't quite the episode I was expecting uh, when I said I wanted to know more about Eberron, um, I apologise. I was too excited. Dude, thank you for um, for sitting down with me. Anytime. Recorded Sweet. or not. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, true. <laughs> Hopefully recorded because then that saves me some hours. But uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have a wonderful rest of your day, dude. Love you too. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.